Good morning, Christ community. My name is Chris Blackman. I'm one of our pastoral interns, and I'm very happy to have the privilege to be bringing God's Word to you today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 7 as we continue our series through Proverbs, studying the wisdom of God. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 7. We're going to see this chapter actually in two sections. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 and also verses 21 through 27. So Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and then 21 through 27. And while you're turning there, let me read the key truth to you today from our text, which is, Our Heavenly Father has given us a precious treasure, the Word of God, which leads to life and can keep us from the seductive and powerful lure of sin, which leads to death. Let me read that one more time. Our Heavenly Father has given us a precious treasure, the Word of God, which leads to life and can keep us from the seductive and powerful lure of sin, which leads to death. Hear now from the Word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And now to verse 21 through 27. With much seductive speech she persuades him, with her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let me start with the question. What is something you treasure deeply? Or maybe put another way, whose wisdom and advice do you value? Now, I can remember uh, when Kelsey was pregnant with Genesis, uh, we had many, many friends, you know, who said to us, like, like, look, uh, like, try to sleep as much as you can now. <laughs> like, you, look, man, you got to value the sleep you're getting now. Try to, try to store it up, right, uh, before this baby comes. And, you know, we were like, yeah, yeah, we know, like, babies, you know, wake up in the night and, you know, mess up your sleep. But little did we know uh, <laughs> how, how serious uh, and how good of advice that was, right, that often uh, we realize we treasure something uh, when we don't have it anymore. When you're, whether you've had insomnia or with small children or been kept up at night uh, with anxiety and worry, right? You know that feeling the next day of saying like, oh, like how I miss sleep. Oh, how I value uh, a full night's rest, right? In our passage today, we're going to see that the father is speaking to the son about what he should treasure. He's trying to give him this godly wisdom and advice on what to treasure and what to value 
so that hopefully the son won't realize it once it's too late. He won't realize it after the fact, how valuable um, and worthy godly wisdom truly is. We're going to look at that in two different ways. First, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, treasuring the wisdom from above. And then we'll also look at verses uh, 21 through 27, how what we treasure really leads us on the path we will go. So looking at verses 1 through 5, we see it says in verse 1, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Right, that the father is telling his son, Look, son, like what I'm telling you now, I'm trying to pass on my godly wisdom to you. And I don't want you uh, to let this kind of go in one ear and out the other. Don't just hear it, but truly listen, right? And not just listen, but, but keep these words, right? Don't just hear these words, but actually treasure these words. Treasure these commandments with you. And it says, ultimately, in verse 2, keep my commandments and live, right? That the purpose that the Father wants the Son to, to hear His words, to keep them and to treasure them is because they lead to life. That the word of God that our heavenly father has given us is the word of life, right? It tells us about the gospel of Jesus and it leads us ultimately to eternal life if we will listen, if we will hear it. The father is telling the son this and he's using this rich language, not just obey my words, but, but treasure them, right? Make them the apple of your eye. And this language is not just in the Proverbs, but we see this throughout the Bible. Jesus uses this kind of language a lot. Think of Matthew 6.21, where he says, uh, you know, Store not up for yourselves treasures here on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right, that what you treasure and what you value right, sinks down deep into your heart. It forms the basis and the motivations of our desires and our actions. That what we treasure deeply affects us. And the father is appealing to his son. right? Yes, I want you to obey my words and keep my words, but also value and treasure them. You know, unless we miss the importance of that, Uh, You know, God, yes, he wants us to obey him, but he doesn't just want like slavish obedience. He doesn't just want superficial outward obedience with a heart that's far from him. No, he wants our hearts as well. He wants our hearts to treasure his word. Ultimately, what we treasure, right, reflects the relationship that we have. If there's a a good friend of mine, you know, that I, I really value their wisdom Right? It shows that I really treasure the relationship and I trust them. Right? I'm willing to listen to them over others. In the same way the Father is saying, look, don't just hear my words as you know, like an old fuddy-duddy trying to just you know, give you one more burdensome rule. No, remember our relationship. Remember, I'm your Father who loves you. Right? That I give you these words, I give you these commandments, not because I'm trying to burden you, 
right? Not just trying to, you know, tell you how we did it back in my day. No, I want you to hear my words because they, they lead to life. Because I love you, because I care for you, and I don't want you to go the way of sin, to be seduced by its power to fall into its trap. Think about uh, the story of the prodigal son, right? Think about how, uh, you know, the, the younger son, uh, what he really values and treasures is kind of earthly pleasures. And he, he wants to leave his family and take his father's money and go and spend it on earthly treasures. And when he comes to the end of his rope and realizes, you know, these things don't really bring happiness or fulfillment, he remembers his father's character. He says, you know, don't my father's servants eat better than I do? Right? Maybe I can go back to him and find mercy. And ultimately, we see that even before the son can get out the words asking for mercy, the father is running to him to embrace him, to kiss him, and to tell him he loves him. But we see that the older son, who had obeyed his whole life, right, what he had really treasured was the hope that he would someday you know, inherit his father's riches, right? that his father would give him earthly pleasures for his obedience. We see that even the older son's heart did not truly treasure the relationship. Right? He didn't truly trust in his father's character in what he was sharing with him. Right? That we don't ultimately trust the words of our father, the grace that he wants to lavish on us. We, we want to work for it ourselves or we want to find our own way. We think that sometimes the word of God is going to be a burdensome thing and it's going to keep us from pleasures. We reflect actually our lack of trust in him that we don't always treasure and value our Heavenly Father's relationship with us. But he's saying here, look, my son, right, because I love you, I give you these commandments. He's saying, I want my teachings to be the apple of your eye. You know, and that's a really unique phrase right there, apple of your eye. It's only used about four times in the whole Old Testament. And it's actually like literally it's uh, the little man of your eye in Hebrew, uh, saying like the pupil of your eye. It's kind of saying like, I want my, my word and my teachings uh, to be treasured by you and valued by you in such a way, right, that they would actually be the thing like in front of you, that they would be the thing going into the pupil, right, that they would be the most valuable thing you see, right, that there are all these other things we could spend our time and our energy pursuing, all these other things we could value and treasure, but that the word of our Heavenly Father would be the primary, the most important, the apple of our eye, right, that it would, it would go straight into our pupils. In a similar way, in verse 3, he says, look, if you want to value and treasure my word, you need to make it a a part of your everyday rhythms. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That's really calling back to Deuteronomy 6, when Moses is telling the people, when you go into the promised land, right, uh, you need to be talking about the word of God, reading it regularly. Talk about it with your children along the way. And it says, bind it on your fingers. It's almost like, look, you know, if you're going to forget it, or if you're struggling to remember it, like, write it down and, you know, tie it around your hand, you know. Uh, or you know, it talks about in Deuteronomy, like, write it in almost like a post-it note. Stick it on your forehead, 
right? If, if you're worried you're not going to value the Word of God, then you need to find ways to keep it into your life, right? That we want the Word of God to become a regular part of our daily rhythms, right? And not only for our own safety to keep us from sin, uh, not only because we love our Heavenly Father, we want it to reflect uh, how we value and treasure our relationship with Him, but also when the world around us sees how we value, right, the Word of God, they should be intrigued, right? They should see that readily in our lives, right? If, if non-believers look on us uh, and don't see the Word of God as something we value and treasure, uh, then what does that really say about our relationship with the Father who gives us the Word, right? That we want to value it because it is this great treasure. We want to value it because our Heavenly Father has given us, and we want to value it because it reflects the Father's love for us. In verse 4, he says, Look, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. And I love that kind of image of uh, seeing the wisdom of God as an intimate friend, because it really speaks to this idea that, look, the word is not just something to be uh, very, like, superficially read or recited, uh, but it's actually something that, like a, a close friend, you, you want to, like, study it. And you want to grow in your familiarity with it, right? That it would be near you and it would be a, a comfort to you and an encouragement to you and even a rebuke to you when you're going the wrong way, like a close friend would be. You know, many of us have best friends or intimate friends. All of us yearn for close friendships like that, right? We yearn for people who would encourage us but would also speak the truth to us. We yearn for that intimacy of friendship in which we can bear our souls, that we don't have to put up a front of uh, fake or false godliness. But we can say, look, I struggle in these ways and see that the word of God speaks to that and points us to Jesus, right, the friend of sinners. And that's a phrase, you are call wisdom my sister, you know, in a similar way like a family member. But hear this quote uh, from David Aiken from his commentary on Proverbs, how he helps us understand the depth of meaning there. He says, Just in case there are any lingering doubts about the perils of the seductress, the sage has a little story to tell. But first, he repeats his plea for his students to take his teaching to heart in much the same terms as chapter 6. The word sister can sometimes mean bride, as in Song of Solomon. And so the intention may be to suggest that Lady Wisdom is the true wife and lover in contrast with the spurious and dangerous love of the seductress. All right, it's saying there that not only is wisdom to be an intimate friend or family member, but you should be as close to God's word and his wisdom, almost like you are with your spouse, with your lover. Right, that just as uh, we may fail in this in our everyday relationships with our spouses, but we all yearn right, to grow in our intimacy with them, uh, to know them better, to care for them better, to listen to them better. Right, in the same way, we want the Word of God to be something we're growing with, uh, that we can trust it like our spouse, that we can uh, grow in our understanding of it, and it would affect us. Right? That 
Uh, Our understanding of marriage is that it will change you. In the same way, is your relationship with the Word changing you? Or is it this superficial obedience uh, that has not deeply affected your heart and your soul? You know, he says here, look, the Word of God should be written on the tablet of your heart. And we know uh, that this is really pointing ahead to that prophecy in Jeremiah 31, that someday God is going to give us a new heart. And His law is no longer going to be written on tablets of stone, but it's going to be written on the tablet of our heart. That ultimately we need that inner transformation, right? That in and of ourselves, in our sin, we will not treasure the Word of God. But because God has had grace on us through His Son, Jesus, He's given us a new heart with His Word written on it. We can see that He's calling us now to to treasure the Word that He's already given us. That God has already done the hard work to give us this sweet gift, and we are to to study it and grow in it, keep it close to us. I love uh, the language there of, apple of your eye. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's only used like four times in the whole Old Testament. And here it's, you know, the father is telling the son, keep the word as the apple of your eye. Keep it as this treasured thing in front of you. But the other three times that phrase is used in the Old Testament is actually when God is talking about his people, when he's talking about Israel, when he's talking about those he has called to be his people, part of his kingdom. It's God saying, look, you are the apple of my eye. You are my treasured possession. Look, it's because I love you and it's because I treasure you that I'm giving you my word. It's because I love you and treasure you that I would write my word on your heart. And that just as I treasure you as the apple of my eye, I want you to treasure my word. John 1 tells us Jesus is the incarnate word of God. So there's this amazing picture of, you know, as, as we, God's people, are the apple of his eye, right? Jesus, the word of God incarnate, is the apple of our eye. <laughs> that as God looks on us as a treasured and valued part of his kingdom, so we keep our eyes on Jesus, right? The one who has saved us, God himself who has implanted his word within us. Brothers and sisters, when you feel like you're, you're losing your love for God's word, when you feel like you're struggling to treasure it, remember that you are the apple of his eye, right? And that Jesus has come to show you just how much God loves you, just how much he treasures you, and just how valuable his word is to grow you in your relationship with your heavenly father. But we see that God's word, it's this rich treasure, but it's also meant to keep us from something. It also warns us that it, yes, encourages us. It tells us in the right way to go, but it also points us away from the wrong path. In verse 5, it says, Look, you know, son, keep my word and all this to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Right? That all this wisdom has a purpose, and it's to keep us from folly, to keep us from sin. We've seen throughout Proverbs how, you know, there's this lady wisdom, but also lady folly. And here, this kind of uh, seductive woman 
is part of Lady Folly here, trying to, to lure you away. Right? She's characterized here as a forbidden woman, as an adulteress. And she uses smooth words, right, and persuasion, flattering speech, as we talked about last week, charming her way into your heart and your mind and your actions. Right? That the reason we need to treasure God's word, we need to treasure our relationship with him, uh, is because right, the sin in our own hearts and the sin in this world and the enemy himself loves to, to present us with these false treasures to lure us away. These false treasures which seem so seductive, so smooth, that often seem easier. And so this is part of the reason why the Father says, hold on to the treasure of the Lord. And so going to our next question, it's helpful for us to think about this. What are the ways in which you are keeping God's word as a precious treasure ever before your eyes? We know that the word of the Lord is a great treasure that he's given us. But so many times we grow lethargic. Uh, we're overwhelmed by the busyness of life so much so that we feel like we don't treasure anything <laughs> these days except for just getting through, just surviving. But the Lord wants his word to be a deep treasure to you. Just as he said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation, come back to your first love. Come back to what is truly valuable and worth investing in. Stay away from these false treasures that are presented before you. So now moving on to our second section here, verses 21 through 27. We're going to see that what you treasure really determines the path you will follow. Let's look here in verses 21 through 23. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Right here, the father is saying, look, like the goal of the seductive woman is not to bring you to a place of, of treasure. Right? The seductive woman doesn't actually value you, even though she may say that with her smooth words. But actually, it's to persuade you to move away from the treasure of God's word and to follow her down the path of folly, which is ultimately a trap. Right? It leads to death. With seductive speech, she persuades him. Right? It's not that she's using weak arguments. No, you know, the enemy knows uh, the areas of our heart that we tend to fall for. Whatever that may be, greed or lust or envy, pride. The enemy loves picking on those areas. And sometimes it's an overt attack, but many times it's seductive speech, persuasive language, smooth words to compel us. You know, it's really fascinating here how it's like the sun, the image of the sun here is almost like he's hearing the woman and, you know, is trying to be like somewhat skeptical. But then in verse 22, it's all at once he follows her. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, well, you've convinced me. Okay, let's go. Like the, the picture here is he doesn't put a ton of thought into it. He doesn't consider his father's words that he'd heard before. 
he kind of gives the seductive woman one shot at convincing him, and he's convinced like that. That sin so easily moves our hearts quickly, that our hearts are easily given over to it. This is why we need the word of the Lord to guard our hearts, as it said in Proverbs chapter 4. And we see that, you know, the son here, as he's following the seductive woman down the path, he thinks it's going to lead him to right, great pleasures and treasures. But it says, as he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter. The picture there is literally of a you know, cow being led into a slaughterhouse. And they don't you know, bring cows in um, by harming them. No, they bring them in usually with the lure of food or something. Right? It's always the, the carrot that often brings us in as opposed to the stick. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Young people in our church here, sin is often enticing, right? But the end of it all is always pain, suffering, death. It, it promises so much, but it does not have a good and perfect plan for your future. Right? It does not yearn for good things for your life. It promises the treasures of this world, but it leads you often into the sufferings of this world and ultimately being separated from God, ultimately experiencing the spiritual separation that comes from death. Yeah. I love the, you know, the idea and the language here of seeking out wisdom from others. Uh, and as I was reading this, I was like, you know, I'll be honest, uh, I grew up very much a city boy, and so uh, hunting, not in my experience. Uh, but my father-in-law is a pretty avid hunter, so I reached out to him and was like, you know, hey, there's this language here about like hunting, you know, deer and things like that. Help me understand this, what's going on. And he was saying, well, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. As you can imagine, you know, if you're hunting a deer, it's pretty common to maybe lay out some kind of bait uh, you know, easy food for them that might lure them in. Um, but deer, you know, can often get spooked pretty easy and run away. But he said one of the more effective lures for deer, and, you know, it's become really popular now to sell in sporting goods stores, are these kind of pheromones, these scents of, uh, you know, the opposite sex for the deer. And the whole idea is that, you know, especially a male deer, uh, might be lured into a place uh, from the scent of a female, right? thinking he was going to find a mate. And it ends up being this kind of perfect trap to lure, to bring him in, ultimately to kill him, right? And to make him a prize for your wall. That this is what the enemy hopes. Right? He doesn't hope that you would be a, a valued or treasured member of the kingdom. No, the enemy values and treasures your head to put on his wall as a trophy. Look at another one I got who fell for the trap, who was lured away. This is why the father is appealing to the son. My son, listen to me. Bind these words around your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Don't fall for this trap. The father tells the son, look, don't you realize that falling for this trap will cost you your life? Right, sin only wants to take from you. 
In the final section here, verse, verses 24 through 27 says this, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not strain to her paths, for many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. The father is imploring his son one more time. Look, listen to me. Be attentive to my words. And verse 25 is so key. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. He's saying, look, ultimately it's your heart, right? That is the source of your, your motivations here, right? It's what you treasure in your heart that will lead you on a certain path. And that's why he's saying, look, treasure the word of God. Treasure his wisdom to keep you on the path of righteousness. Don't let your heart be seduced and turn away towards the path of folly and sin. It looks beautiful down that path, but the end of it is ultimately death. Right? That we should be sensitive to knowing what entices us. We should be sensitive to knowing what we shouldn't pursue. The true wisdom is to show discernment, to say, look, I know that my heart (laughs) yearns for these sinful things and I need to stay away from it. And it's not because I'm trying to be judgmental on anyone else, but it's knowing that my heart needs to value the things of God, the treasure of his word more. The language here is really reflective of the book of Joshua when God tells them going into the promised land, don't turn to the right or the left. Right, but meditate on my word, and it will lead you in the way you need to go. In the same way, right, hold on to the word of the Lord, and let it guide our hearts on the path that he has laid out before us. Ultimately, we see that the reason the son would follow the seductive woman is because of his pride, because of his arrogance. Like the father is saying, for many a victim... The woman of folly has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. He's saying, look, son, uh, you may think you're different. (laughs) You may think you're hot stuff, but you're not. Look, this woman who speaks in a seductive way, who's a representative of sin and folly, right, that she has laid low many, that many have fallen in this trap. Many mighty men, many who are stronger than you have fallen to sin. Don't think you're better than them. In your arrogance and pride, don't think, I can handle it. No, take this seriously. Take sin seriously. It's not a small thing. It seeps into us. Jesus speaks of, you know, a little bit of leaven affects the whole lump. Let the word of God be treasured in your life. And let not in the ways of this world. Ultimately, he says, her house is the way to Sheol and going down to the chambers of death. And this quote from the ESV Study Bible on their book of Proverbs uh, really summarizes this well. He says, the image of many a victim, a mighty throng having fallen to her advances as if she were a warrior, is given as further grounds for staying away and warns the sons against the foolish pride of presuming they would be different. Although the woman invites the fool into her bed and in her home for immediate pleasure, the nature of the path to her house will entangle him in a way 
that in the end leads to the chambers of death. In mentioning Sheol, the text is indicating that the consequences go beyond this life. Life and death in Proverbs commonly corresponds to a right relationship to God and estrangement from Him, continuing beyond the grave. The Father is saying, look, the consequences of being seduced by sin and following it is not just uh, that you may suffer in this life. No, the consequences are eternal. Right? It says, look, her house is the way to shield. It's the Old Testament word for hell. Right? That if you follow her on this path, you will be lost. What parent doesn't yearn for their children to follow the path of life? In the same way, our Heavenly Father, who considers us the apple of His eye, right, wants us to stay on the path of life. He wants us to treasure and value the good gifts that He wants to give us. And He wants those things to be valued in us so they would also keep us from the garbage that the world wants to feed us and call it good. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this question. Are you taking seriously the deadly allure of sin? And do you know that you are treasured in God's eyes? Let me close by remembering you know, the, the story of David and Bathsheba from 2 Samuel. And we see that David is a man after God's own heart, um, you know, has reached this great success, and he's honored God along the way, and he's done it right. And here, kind of at the peak of his power, it says that the army goes out to fight, but David doesn't go with them, even though that's what he's supposed to be doing. And instead, he stays in his palace, and he sees Bathsheba, and, you know, like the son here in this passage, all at once calls for her to be brought to him. And we see it begins this cycle of sin, right? That he sins with Bathsheba, and then he tries to cover it up. She becomes pregnant, and he tries to hide it with her husband. And ultimately, he's led to the point where he's got to kill her husband to cover all this up. Right? That he's just going further and further down this path of sin and folly. You know, and you're reading this, and you're thinking, like, David, you're the, you're the chosen one of God. You're like the best of us. You know, how could you fall for this? Have you not listened to the wisdom of God? I thought you were a man after God's own heart. But we see that God, right, doesn't just strike David dead right there. No, God, because he values him and treasures him as one of his people, sends his prophet Nathan to confront him with his word and say, Look, David, you have sinned. You have broken my law. And there are very real consequences because of your sin, right? The child that Bathsheba has passes away, tragically, right? But he says, look, I will forgive you. I will show you my grace, right? That the end of that story is not David dying and going to Sheol. No, the end of that story is that David is shown amazing grace. His sins are forgiven, right? That he is restored by the grace of God, right? that in Jesus Christ, we have a way back, that no matter how far you feel from God in this moment, no matter how easily you feel tempted by sin and folly and seduced by the things of this world, know right, that the apple of God's eye, his own son, Jesus, 
has been given to us, right, to save us from our sins. That Jesus Christ has come to take all of our sins, all the things that should keep us from God, to put them to death on the cross so that we would have new life in Him, so that we would have the Word of God written on our hearts, so that the greatest treasure God can give His own Son would be ours. Because God loves and treasures His people, He has given us this great treasure. The truly blessed in God is fed by His Word, is holding on to His great treasure, and it lets, uh, and we let it guide us. So, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that you are the apple of God's eye, that He treasures you in this way, and He wants you to treasure His Word in return. And so, we can see that Proverbs 7, 1 through 5, and 21 through 27 teaches us that God's wisdom is meant to be treasured as a close friend or spouse and to be the apple of our eye. And it also shows us that sin is not to be taken lightly as its end goal is to trap and to lead us to death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great treasure that you've given us in your word, the great treasure that you've given us in your Son. Lord, we admit that... um, like the, the sun in this passage, we are easily led astray, or that the seductions of sin and folly and of this world often uh, keep us from you, or that we don't value your word like we should. Um, that, Lord, sometimes we feel so overwhelmed by the things of this world, Lord, that we don't rest um, in your amazing grace. But, Father, we thank you for that grace, Lord, that no matter where we are in the path of folly, Lord, that you can save us, Lord, that you can restore us, Lord, that our relationship is built on this amazing grace, that you have valued us before we could ever treasure and value you. We thank you for your word. Let it guide us on our path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.